Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Our Next Guest Is. Hello and welcome to another Our Next Guest Is. This is a conversation where we meet the country's leading speakers and entertainers in the corporate and events world and we meet the person behind the reputation. My name is Michael Pope and I'm here with Carson White as usual. Carson, who is Our Next Guest? Have you ever wondered how they work out exactly how many houses to build or train lines to put in? or electric cars to make. Mm-hmm. It's all about demographics. And as one of the country's leading social commentators and business analysts, our next guest is at the forefront of outlining the future. He draws upon vast data sets to interpret the overall trajectory of social change in the past and in the future. He argues that social and cultural change are rising forces that are reshaping the way we live, how we work, and even how we form relationships. And most importantly, how many serves of smashed avocados we will need in a decade's time. Our next guest is Bernard Salt. Hi, guys. Welcome. Hi, Bernard. Thank you. Let's start with the obvious. You've been forever tagged with the man who coined the smashed smashed avocados. Where did that come from and and what does it really mean? Uh, Well, this was was a column that I wrote in uh, October 2016. And it was done as a parody on Middle Age. And it occurred to me as I was in um, in a uh, hipster cafe with my wife and uh, daughter. Mm-hmm. And what kind I, of latte did you order? I don't. I, well, I had a cup of tea. I'm not. Oh. I'm not a very good hipster. Oh, dear. And, and just and, for the audience, he doesn't have a hipster beard. <laughs> no, but the ponytail's uh, working. That's right. <laughs> Sorry, about and it. It, look, it struck me that um, that uh, here, here I was, uh, my wife as well, middle-aged people in a hipster cafe. And um, we were saying, you know, we can't read the menu because the writing is too small. You can't hear yourself speak because the music is too loud. I complained about sitting in a milk crate because you can't get back up again. And I thought, oh, that would be a great column, you know, parodying middle-aged people turning up to a hipster cafe. Right. And, and, then, and then you whisper to each other, because you could never say this out loud, look at all these young people eating smashed avocado, shouldn't they be saving for a house? It's yes. like yeah. finger-wagging and moralising. It, uh, it was done as, as, as tongue-in-cheek, of course. And so I wrote the column. On the Monday, uh, it was you know, re- reasonably well-received, and then um, on the Monday, um, someone actually just took that comment about young people, mm. and without the context, it mm-hmm. didn't look good. Uh, and that, was, that tweet went live at 6.27am. <laughs> By 10am, I was fielding calls from the BBC in wow. London. Wow. <laughs> you thing, really hit an earth. This thing, it made page three of the Stuttgart German newspaper. This right. thing went round the world. And um, since then, it's become, um, it's become uh, very much symbolic of the intergenerational tension and mm. also housing affordability and mm. so forth. And uh, look, from a consultant's point of view, it's been terrific. <laughs> I mean, as a consultant, a business advisor, I, I'm like a theme park. You need a new ride every three or four years. Right. And Smash mm, Avocado so, is, is like, you know, the, the Batman ride or something like that, and people reinvigorate or re-engage with what I have to offer. Yes. Do you have a scoop for us about what the next one, what the next, the next one three is? years? Well, re- remarkably, Smash Avocado just keeps on going. Yeah. <laughs> it keeps I, repeating on you. it's funny. I actually like listened to another podcast, and it was mentioned. It's an American podcast, and it's called The Art of Manliness, Manliness and the guest on that mentioned Smashed Avocados. And I actually thought... Now, was that Bernard? Did they acknowledge Bernard? No, no. No, In fact, acknowledge Bernard. I should have put a little trademark uh, underneath it. There's a road sign outside the Victorian township of Avoca. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And someone has has changed Avoca to avocado, smashed avocado, (laughs) and the 13 kilometres has been changed to $13. (laughs) (laughs) Which is a very cheap smashed avocado. Very cheap, I would have thought. So you've written many articles, and that one has, you know, taken flight. 
Take us back to where you got your your knowledge from. Sure. We mentioned you as a business analyst. What was your in a, what in is a my nutshell? training? Yeah, I am a failed school teacher <laughs> by training. I why, why failed? Failed because I, I didn't teach. I did teaching rounds. Yeah, and I realised that these little buggers weren't as enthusiastic about my subject area as I was. As, and I how thought, dare they? How which dare was? They? Which was? Well, history and geography. Right. Oh, that sounds good. <laughs> oh, it's riveting. I'd riveting. sign up. <laughs> anyway, so there I was, Burwood High School in 1978, teaching year eight yes. as a student teacher. And, you know, the kids weren't quite sort of focused on what I had to say. And I thought, oh, this is not for me. Mm. I'll take the coward's way out, go back and do another degree, mm-hmm. a master's degree in urban history, the evolution of Melbourne. And um, and from there, I um, fell into consulting. Right. And interestingly, uh, I was doing consulting advice to the property industry, people who own shopping centres, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars of mm. property. And I would talk to them about well, this area of Melbourne or Sydney or whatever, and I'd say, you know, over 100 years it's moved from there to there to there Mm, because mm. of this sort of history point of view. Mm. And they had never heard that before. And if you have a shopping centre worth $500 million or a billion dollars, you want to hear that long-term view, whereas the advice they'd been getting until I turned up was, well, this year, next year. Yeah, right. They think very long-term. Which is very interesting because that really flies in the face of all this money that's been spent on these developments and they were literally working on 24-month timeframes. Well, yes. I mean, look, uh, you know, there, there is an economist's point of view and an accountant's yeah. point of view. Philosopher's point of view. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> and I suppose, it? you know, I, my perspective is big picture long term mm. and it's how a city might change. And that led me to an interest in generational change, uh, city strategic planning, and even at a political level, you know, is, is Australia on a trajectory to further prosperity into the future? What, will, what, are, what are Australia's prospects in the 2030s? Mm. I once, about about 12 years ago, I did a, um, a retreat for one of the banks, the directors of uh, one of the banks, and there was about 12 people there or, or so. One of the directors came up to me at the morning tea and said, Bernard, how long do you think the Australian people can hold sovereignty over the Australian continent? It was such a big question. Mm. And I thought, that is why you are a director of a bank. Right. Mm. You think at that level. Because You're not yes. thinking, you know, what, what is profit going to be next quarter? Mm. Yeah. They're thinking so big. And I, I absolutely Love loved that. it. Yeah. Loved so, it. So he was asking the right questions. In your observation, is business asking the right questions? I do. I, I actually think that business does ask the... Uh, more, the more now than in the past? Uh, very much so. And it, it uh, comes at the end of a decade. So here we are, 2019. The issue that every management team, every board is now interested in is uh, Australia at 2030. Mm. Do you have a view? Do you have a credible view of what Australia will look like at, uh, at 2030? How much can you look at the past and be able to predict the future in, in all kinds of uh, Well, the very, the very easy thing to do is to say, well, this is where we were last t- 10 years ago. This is where we are today. And you just draw a straight line and say, it's just going to be more of the future into, right. the, into the future. That sounds a bit simple. That is too simple. It sounds like a grade but, eight teacher <laughs> type. <right>. Exactly. That's <laughs> right. but, um, but in fact, uh, the, the, the more challenging and exciting and creative elements where you can see a a point of inflection, and that is what business wants to hear. Right. So I can say, well, you know, the oldest baby boom is about um, 68 or 69 at the moment. Uh, by the end of the decade, they are going to start to 
die off. There's no <laughs> easy way to say that. <laughs> no. So what you're going to have in the early 2030s is this extraordinary wealth transfer to the next generation. And that, and that is what mm. really excites business. So that what we've experienced in the past is going to suddenly change. So now we need a conversation with the millennial generation. We'll be in family formation, household formation at that stage of their lives. You've been doing this for 20-plus years. Mm -hmm. Um, Do you remember some of the things you spoke about 20-plus years ago? And which ones did you bugger up? (laughs) Yeah, well, that's what I'm trying to ask. Where's my flying car? No, no, in fact, I I can go back, um, say, 10 years ago to the global financial crisis. Mm -hmm. And I was reading all the papers and seeing what was happening in Wall Street and seeing the the concern on the Prime Minister and Kevin Rudd and Mm. Wayne Swan at the time, they were concerned about the future, people predicting doom and gloom. And I thought, gosh, you know, we're in for a recession. What actually happened was we had a boom within a boom. China leveraged up their demand for Australian resources. From 2009 to 2012, we had an extraordinary period of prosperity in Australia. So it was completely the reverse. And I realised then, you know what, it was always going to happen. We're a good product. Mm. We offer commodities, resources, space, security, lifestyle. Why wouldn't Australia and our proposition prosper for decades into the future? And so that's why I think sometimes you need to just forget what The Economist is telling you. Mm. (laughs) (laughs) I shouldn't say that. Um, uh, And look at the big picture. But the longer term. The longer term. It's like... Now, you're flying a plane. I don't know how to fly a plane, but I imagine, you know, you keep your wings level with the horizon, don't you? Otherwise, mm. you fall over. Yeah. yeah, you're not looking at the ground as you fly over. So, you, you didn't teach avionics, I didn't teach, did you? I didn't teach aviation. Uh, but anyway, look, if you're flying a plane, you keep your wings level with the horizon. Sure. You're not concerned about the immediate. You're, you're looking at the horizon yes, all the yes, time. Yes. And I think that's what we should do. We are, we are young, we are vital, we are safe, we're secure, we have good social cohesion, we are accepting of migrants to an extraordinary degree. Mm-hmm. 39% of Sydney's population came from outside Australia. If you go to Berlin, that proportion from outside Germany is 13%. Mm. And they get really anxious about 13%. They do. They're getting very nancy about it. We're, we're at 40%. Yeah. That must make us the most absorbent, tolerant people on earth and we've turned it into uh, something to show off about. You know, uh, who knew what quinoa was five years ago? Mm. But, you know, I'll have the quinoa salad. We show off to each other about our cosmopolitan linkages Mm. because we are at heart a remote, isolated, colonial people, conscious of our isolation. So we're all ever ready to absorb other cultures. Mm. We'll kiss each other on the cheek. The Greeks and the Italians Mm. taught us that. We've dumped English tea and we now drink coffee. Again, the Greeks and the Italians Mm. taught us that. Mm. In the future, it'll be Asian, Indian and Arabic influences that seep into a a, a fusion culture of Australia. I wasn't going to go here because um, I don't know if this is the area that you cover, but there's also resistance to that move, isn't there? How does a community bring along everybody on that trajectory? Well, there's no doubt. There's um, there's a, a, a range of views across Australia, including yeah. uh, people who who um, who are concerned about the pace of growth in Australia. Sort of the the big Australia view concerns mm. them greatly, and there are people that are concerned about the uh, the rate of migration, and certainly. You know, the, the rates that Australia is accommodating is out of kilter with, with most other countries. I can't find another country of a similar scale that is as generous. 
uh, as us. So I think that certainly one of the great issues for us in the 2020s and 2030s will be around managing and delivering social cohesion. As long as we are prosperous, then mm. I think mm. our better side will serve we'll come us. It, it's interesting, um, that point, I don't think government actually understand that well enough because they're not communicating that out to the wider it's public. They're not leading well enough. They're not leading it? from that point of view. Well, so. if we can deliver prosperity um, and if we can cultivate and promote this uh, culture of um, of uh, cultural absorption and tolerance, mm. uh, then we should be a prosperous people for for a generation into the future. That's my fundamental proposition. There are issues around geopolitical stability mm -hmm. that I think we need to manage. Yeah. Probably in the 2030s. By 2030, China will be the largest economic force on the planet. Now, Australians have always been best mates with the most powerful economic force on the planet, the Brits, mm -hmm. then the Americans. You know, uh, this is a big and difficult question for the Australians to actually address we will actually be have our, be aligned with the second most powerful or economic, second biggest economic force in the 2030s. I, yeah. reckon that's, I reckon that shifts our allegiances somewhat. Mm. What you're talking about is change, and let me re-ask that question as though Australia was a company. How does any company bring about change and get everybody on board with it, particularly if it is you know, driven from top down? I don't think it's any different if you're running a, a company with thousands of employees or, or running a country or you are a mayor of a country town of 5,000 people, the principle is the same. It's not about what you can get from Canberra or what you can get the Americans to do for us. It's something that you can do that costs nothing, but it is the hardest thing to do, and that is to remain galvanised and united in a common vision. And I think that's what we need politically in Australia, and I think that's what corporate Australian... This is our company, and this is where we're going. Mm. And if you sell the vision, enthuse people about that vision, then you're less likely to have division. You're always going to have dissenters. So, you know, even if you're running a... If you're yeah. mayor of a town of 5,000 people, there's always going to be... Like a voca. Yeah, yeah a voca, that's right. But strong uh, leadership strong allows leadership. that vision to come. If you have weak or equivocal... Mm. leadership. Mm. Mm. Well, you've got 55% believe this and 45% believe that. You, you can't make a decision because if you make that decision, you've got 45% who will hate you. Yeah. Whereas you, if you've got 80% of people who believe in your vision for the future because they've been engaged with it and they believe in it, then you can afford to make decisions that actually upset people. I call it <laughs> the piss-off factor. Right. You, know, you, can, you afford, can tolerate a certain degree of piss-off factor. You can afford to piss people, some people off. Yeah. And you need to. You cannot keep everyone happy. Sure. That is, it is just impossible to do. Folding that back into you as a speaker and you mm. getting up on stage, how have, how have you seen uh, organisations and companies, have they have got better at creating that vision and, that, and getting that alignment in the last that 20 leadership? years? Yeah, no, that I leadership? do. I, I think that we are very much focused on the, uh, on the future. I think corporate Australia is very focused on the future. I'm not convinced that um, governments are. Governments are very focused, I think, on the four-year mm. term. Mm. I would like to think that there is a division of the Australian Defence Force somewhere in Canberra that asks these really big questions in the 2030s and 2040s. Of course, it wouldn't be public, but we should be asking those questions. Uh, Australian business does ask it, and they love 
these big questions. Not mm. all the time. You know, it's not as important as, you know, getting the wages right and mm. you know, inflation mm. and all that sort of thing. That's operational. Mm. I'm talking about, you know, you need to be in the right country at the right time, offering the right product at the right time in history. Get all that right, and then the operational stuff is so much better. Let's leave Australia for a moment because I don't think we can solve all their problems today. Mm. And back to the man, <laughs> Bernard Salt. Tell us about that transition where you went from this experience you had in business as an analyst, as yeah. a consultant, to the speaking stage. What was that? Uh, well, it was very, very funny. It was about 1996. I was um, being asked to write in trade journals, you know, property specialist trade uh, journals. Yep. And uh, occasionally I would get asked to turn up to, like, Coffs Harbour. And I thought this was really good. Yeah, it <laughs> is. <laughs> never been to Coffs Harbour before. Yeah. And that paid for my expenses. And I, I went to Coffs Harbour and I spoke. Uh, and it went down really well. And I was always very good at, you know, preparing. Over-prepare, over-anxious, you know, rehearse my lines, think about it all the way through. Mm. And then someone from – can I mention a speaking bureau? Yeah, no, well, it was – it was, it was ICMI. ICMI. It was I ICMI. remember yeah. having your Peter, first meeting with Peter Rossetti. Peter Rossetti. Yeah, yeah. Peter Rossetti. So I remember I was in that meeting. Yeah, and, uh, suddenly, yeah. and um, you know, Peter Rossetti and yourself yes. turn up. Say, oh, we want to do this. And I said, oh. Okay. And, and you can charge this amount yeah, of money. That's right. And, you, and, and, and so you go. His jaw hit the floor. <laughs> and I said, no, that is an easier way to, to make money yeah. than actually writing consulting reports. And it's more enjoyable. It's fun. Yeah. Uh, and uh, from there, it just went off. The, the thing that I did, looking back, you know, because now I'm an old hand. Yes. The thing that I did in those early days, which is really, really hard when you're starting, is to take risks. Mm. And I took risks talking about fun stuff, turning data into fun, mm. like bachelor hotspots. Yes. And, you know, the Which man, no one had done before. No one had done and, man drought. Yeah. And I had business people saying, you know, why... What's this man drought why, you're talking why, about? Why, you know, yeah. this reputational... They saw risk. Yeah. And I saw fun. What, what, so what is man drought? It's one well, of your books. Man drought is the... Is the whether we're more single men than single women. Right. If there's too many single women, then you're in a man drought. Yeah. You need to get yourself okay. to a... And that was the... To that another was location. The Whereas <laughs> business saw risk. I saw fun. Yeah. And, and opportunity. opportunity. Yeah. And I realised that if I had 300 people in front of me and if I smiled and said it the right way, it would not look smart or whatever. Yeah. It would actually look... They would get the joke. This is a joke. Go along with it. But there's some underlying seriousness to it. Yeah, yeah. And, and people loved it. Yeah. I distinctly remember, and I often use you talking to other speakers, because I remember that meeting specifically because yeah. you said this is not only the, you know, the speaking opportunity, you want to do more speaking opportunities, but um, how you're actually going to get more speaking opportunities. And I remember you distinctly saying at the time that you wanted to do the media side. So you were yeah. going to go to the media, make yourself available to the media with this, the man drought, the funny thing. So I think that was a huge part of your early success and continued success as a speaker, the media aspect of your world. Well, the media aspect, plus, plus I also did not distinguish between the media, whether it was 60 Minutes or the Port Piri Times. Mm. I would respond to them equally, pleasantly, enthusiastically, and in a nuanced way. I would talk to Port Piri about Port Piri demographics. So, and, the, you know, I had other people say, well, why do you bother with that? Mm. I, well, my argument was... The more you do, it's like sharpening a knife on a stone. I'm, I'm refining my pitch and my logic at Port Pirie in order to then turn up to, I don't know, Richard Glover Drive or something in Sydney. You're just more practised. Yes. And if you enjoy it, it's not work. 
it's good fun. I mean, I'm happy to talk about the demographics of any place at yeah. all. I find it fascinating. Is there a particular area in this wide world of ours that you find more fascinating in terms of the demographics? Do you like population distribution or do oh, you like... No, uh, no, but, well, look, I mean, there's, it all has... Um, it, it must have a fun side. Mm. And that's what I found with business. You can be in the, you know, the sort of the highfalutin, you know, bank board type retreat. And those men and women are just as interested in um, a a quirky or funny Mm. insight. Mm. And having a laugh. And and having a laugh. Just enjoying it. Just because it's highfalutin and, you know, high-powered and, you know, you see people around the room that you see on business channels and whatever, they are human beings and they will respond to humour because no one dares in the business world engage them on, mm. a, on a humour. Now you, but you need to get the balance right. You can't be all jokesy because I'm, I'm not a comedian. There's people that are far better than that. Although you do deliver well. Yeah, but, but the thing is that if you come in there with a low bar of it, you know, this is about demographics, blah, yeah. blah, 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 yeah, blah, yeah, yeah. and then all of a sudden yeah. you talk about something completely left field, uh, people, people love you, it. You turned a very boring and dry, unsexy subject into a really entertaining and interesting and made it real and tangible for, for audiences. Yeah. So so just to go back a little bit, you were at KPMG for, we are talking, nearly 17 years yep. um, as a partner. But now you've gone out on your own and you started the demographics group. So mm-hmm. tell us that transition from, from being in KPMG to doing what you're doing now and then how does that flow into to your speaking? Well, I will say that uh, KPNG have been tremendous. Um, it was a tremendous platform for me to, to do my thing. Um, but uh, there is a point at which um, it's time for partners to move on. I think they want you to move on to boards and all that sort of thing. <laughs> so I retired from the partnership and uh, took a couple of staff, set up my business. I still have a very close relationship with the firm. They've been absolutely fantastic, cultivated uh, my career in that, uh, in that regard. Uh, but from, from day one... Is just gone off like a rocket. That's uh, great. In fact, and why is that? Do you think? Um, well, I think um, it's just I'm just freer, enable uh, to I can respond in a more agile sort of way. I think it was the right timing in terms of the cycle, uh, but um, it's certainly uh, it's certainly gone really well. I have tremendous um, connections and relationships. I mean, people ring me mm. to speak who booked me like 20 years ago. That's and and the good thing about that is you can be rebooked because ultimately data changes. That's the nature of it. Well, and now you can charge too. them too, <laughs> now that you've found your voice. Exactly. In the last couple of minutes, can you tease us with some of those fun facts that you either know from this is the state of affairs now or your predictions into the future? What are some headlines? Well, the baby boom is going to uh, um, um, retire during the 2020s, so we're going from a baby boom to a baby bust. Mm-hmm. There's going to be a focus on lifestyle. Uh, cruises would be possible. Hips, um, um, hip replacements? Hip replacements would be uh, important. <laughs> or hipsters. Are we back to square no, one? No, no, we're not. Hip, from <laughs> hipsters to hips. Hip replacements. So and you, you think, oh, this is quite, quite negative, but it's actually very positive because the next 10 or 15 years of baby boomers is about lifestyle. Mm. It's this little window of opportunity. They're, they're ticking off the bucket list, in fact, the period beyond that, 2030 onwards, is actually, you know, that's, that's, the, um, that's where they start to die off. Right. I actually predict that there'll be a, a return to religiosity as baby boomers confront their own mortality right. and seek out salvation. So we're Could quite, it be religion or spirituality? It could be spirituality. Yeah. But I think I wouldn't put it past them to actually repent 
So, so if you want to start a, a church, it's yeah, a good start, time it to start. No, start it now. Yeah, now it's because because I think church real estate is probably pretty <laughs> baby boomer church. That's right. well, yeah. Speaking of real estate, will my twenty year old kids ever own their own house? Well, yes, they will, but um, they may not buy their own home in Sydney or Melbourne. Sydney and Melbourne are global cities. So they can go to Ballarat or Geelong right. or to Bathurst or to Port Pirie. Or Avoca. Or Avoca, that's right. <laughs> Bernard, I've seen you in flight uh, a number of times and what you just said then, modestly describing yourself, is, is spot on. You take what can appear as raw data but you you don't twist it out of reality but you give a new shine to it that makes it so accessible to every man to listen to. It's fantastic uh, to meet you again in person and thank you for your time. My pleasure. Thank you. So if you'd like to find out more about Bernard Smashed Avocados, uh, please visit... <laughs> There's a lot more to this man than that. There is a lot more. Um, please visit uh, www.bernard-salt.com.au. www.bernard-salt.com.au. That was our next guest is with Carson White from Leading Voice and your MC Michael Pope. To hear more of our guests, you can find us on iTunes or simply visit www.ournextguestis.com.au. But until next time, let's take a break. Music